you will take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Salem is going to help. She's going to pass out a handout for you to hopefully help you follow along with the sermon today. We have taken several weeks, Tim and I, to look at several different psalms. And while we may be considering bringing that brief temporal look at the psalms to a close, I think it would be fitting for us today to think about what blessed worship is in the mind of the psalmist. A few weeks ago, uh, our home group was meeting and one of our members was sharing an experience that they had in a, a different church uh, on a special occasion and how at that particular service that they were at, uh, there were flashing lights and smoke-filled stages. And of course, I was thinking that if we ever experience anything like that at Cornerstone, you can rest assured something's on fire. Uh, it's not because we planned it during the worship service. Of course, Pastor Scott, I'm not sure what you have in store for us. Hopefully, you'll let us know ahead of time. But the, but the point of them sharing this was the fact that during this entire service, they were just left with emptiness. There was very little, if any, prayer. Uh, there was no attention brought to the word of God specifically. Now, somebody got up and talked, but there was no exposition of scripture. And it seemed as if, as they looked around the room in which they were meeting, that there were people getting up out of their seats, walking up and down the pew, going to different places, and just kind of, you know, doing their own thing. And they were just wondering if they were at the right place. And sometimes we can be a little critical, particularly as, as Christians. We can think, well, our church experience is the only way to do church. And uh, we look at the, our traditions and we think about the things that we're comfortable with. And if someone else can't be comfortable with that, that there's certainly a spiritual problem going on. And if we consider the fact that I would never do that in a worship service, then you know, we get to the point where we start being very critical. And in some areas, we need to have some critique uh, in which we're doing things appropriately. But it's something that comes very natural to most of us to do so. It is, that's probably, as much as anything else, the reason why we have so many different buildings in which people are meeting in because they have differences in the way they like to do things. Now, obviously, there's some places that they're meeting because they believe something completely different than what we believe. But sometimes it just comes down to the personal things that we like to do is, is what draws us to a place. And so what I would like for us to do this morning is consider what the psalmist has to say as inspired by the Holy Spirit as to, to what is truly blessed worship. Without worrying about what color the carpet or the pews are, regardless of what the building shape is like, regardless of whether they have a steeple on it or not, regardless of what the name is out on the front, but from a, from a follower of God, what is it that we should be looking for in order to find blessed worship? I believe that we'll find some help here in Psalm 84. 
In verse 1, we begin reading, the psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. In these first four verses, we have a little bit of an indication as to what it is to be have it blessed worship. As we see in verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So point number one, blessed are those who dwell in the Lord's house. Now, you may have grown up in an environment like I did, where you had this phrase, this is God's house. This is the Lord's house. And uh, as a youngster, the only thing that I can think in my mind was, well, they're talking about this brick building with a roof on it, with a steeple on top. And so this is the Lord's house. And, and we believe that to such an extent that we never ate food in the Lord's house. Uh, we, for some reason, would always, if we said something inappropriate, let's say, oops, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that in here. You know, there, were th there was behaviors that we would restrict ourselves from because we were in God's house. Now, to some extent, there was some truth to that. But as we understand scripture, we understand that God's house is much more um, different than just a location in which brick and mortar or wood and you know beams and shingles on top have created a place of location. To sort of give an understanding, I've given you on the handout sheet here just a, a very simple, but yet hopefully helpful understanding of what it means to what the dwelling place of God is. While enthroned in, in a heavenly temple, and that's we get this imagery from Isaiah chapter 6, in which Isaiah is called up in a vision to see the Lord of hosts. This is where we think about being God enthroned, sovereign on his throne. And we think about this omnipresent God who ever exists in this place, even though God himself cannot be restricted to one location. We have this in mind, but the scriptures sort of give us a, give us some help with understanding the dwelling place of God. First of all, we, we see it early on in the book of Genesis. Chapter three, verse eight, uh, there was a sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, what does that mean? Were there leaves on the ground where he was crunching them? Was, you know, was he just pounding the ground as he was walking through because he's such a large figure? Uh, we don't know other than the fact that there is a sound of the Lord God walking in the garden that Adam and Eve could relate to. There was conversation that would take place between Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, we, we hear those haunting words, uh, Adam, where are you? Uh, we, and there was conversation that was taking place. We understand that within the Garden of Eden, that was in some sense a dwelling place of God. Now, sin broke that fellowship in which they no longer felt the presence of God. But down through the centuries, as God was selecting a people for himself, as the nation of Israel were making their way out of Egypt, there was instruction that God gave to 
the priests and to Moses in which they were to build this tabernacle, this temporary dwelling place, this tent. Maybe not quite as simple as the one that Raina and JJ were talking about that they stayed in last week, that in 60 seconds this thing popped up. It took them a little bit longer than that to create all the material uh, that was going to be used in, in fixing this temporal dwelling place. But the tabernacle, after multiple manifestations of God in different ways, the glory of the Lord, according to Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, filled the tabernacle. We see this progress as the nation of Israel goes into the promised land in which now there is a King David who has pleased the Lord, a man after God's own heart. And David wants to do something for God. He says, God, I want to build you a temple. And God reminds David he does not need anyone to build him a temple. And when there is going to be a temple built, it's not going to be by him. It's going to be by his son, Solomon. And Solomon builds this grand building, no longer temporal like a tent in which they could take it with them wherever they go throughout the wilderness. But now they build this with solid stone. And I mean, it is massive and it's huge. And within this temple, they bring into the Holy of Holies and there God of the glory of the Lord, Second Chronicles chapter 7 tells us, filled the house. So we get a sense in which this is where God revealed his presence. We come to the time of Christ. Jesus himself said, in, or John tells us about Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 14, that he, God, became flesh and tabernacled. He dwelt among us in a temporal body that was subject to death. And we know that it was because it actually went through the process of death. It was a temporal dwelling place, but yet there Jesus Christ tabernacled with us. John chapter two, verse 21, John goes on to talk about as Jesus words himself was referring to the temple in his body when he was talking about, you know, three days, you take this temple down, and they'll rebuild it. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about Herod's temple. He was talking about his body, which is probably a reference to when we look at Ezekiel. And Ezekiel receives from the Lord these instructions about how to build this temple or how this temple is going to be constructed. That is probably, according to John chapter 7, 38, Jesus talked about there would be waters flowing out of his innermost being. And this is the description that Ezekiel gives about this temple he saw. So we have reason to believe that Ezekiel was talking about the coming of Jesus Christ as a temple in which the presence of God would dwell bodily, right? Well, we progress further from that as Jesus ascends into heaven. That we have the Apostle Paul refer to Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What? Know ye not that you, believers, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you should take care of your, your body. You should not give it over to, to sin, but you should take care of it. You should treat it as holy. So that we see that now in the world in which we live, in the church age, if you will, we live in a time in which the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers. So that the presence of God in this world can be seen through us. As we, the temple of God, is his, will are his dwelling place. 
It's a gift from Christ. And then ultimately, we see everything come full circle from way back in the Garden of Eden where there was a sound of God walking through the garden. There's coming a day. Oh, there's coming a day that John talks about in Revelation chapter 21 in which there will be no temple in the New Jerusalem. Why? For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Currently, as amazing as it is and impossible for us to truly conceive that God is dwelling within us, there is coming a day when all of God's people forever and ever will dwell in him. He will be the temple. He will be where we are. There will be no other temple. There will be no place to find God's presence except where we will be when we are with him forever. So this is just a summary of what the Bible talks about being the dwelling place of God. So let's get back to the psalm. So how lovely is your dwelling place? So no matter where it is, no matter whether it is in the, in the body of Jesus Christ as he walked on this planet, or whether it be back in David or Solomon's day when there was the, 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 filled, the filled room of God's glory, or whether it was the, the you know, Israelites going through the wilderness as they were taking this tent place to place, or even our life, there is nothing more lovely than where God dwells. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. In, a, in the most intensity that you can imagine, the psalmist is talking about a yearning that is exhausted with desire. Have you ever desired so much something that it seemed to never get there? You never seem to ever get it. Now, Pastor Charlie, we can be in misery together on those old days in the, on the tobacco farm. And think about those long rows in which you were talking about this morning in CGG, having to hoe those weeds out and having to go pull those suckers out. And uh, there were always plenty of things to do. And at the worst time of the day, it seemed like you were on the longest row that seemed like it was about five miles long. And the further you got into it, it seemed the longer it got. But as you got closer to the end, you could hear people actually popping a top off of a Pepsi Cola and ripping the pack off a pack of peanuts. And they were down there laughing and just enjoying just a little bit of relaxation in the shade while I was still lagging behind, thinking that it would never get there. And there were times in which you would be there and you would think, Lord, can it just rain? Can it be some reason to get me out of this? There's got to be something to help me in this point. And there was a longing in my soul. Even as a young person, I was long for that. And I'm sure each of us have examples in our lives where we can think about things that just truly made us yearn and it could not get there fast enough. Even if nothing else, we're here in the summertime and if you're like me, we would uh, we had a big Buick LeSabre that all six of us, the four kids and my two parents, would take down to the beach. 
and we would never get there. I don't think we still got there. I mean, I'm here, I'm 54 years old, and I don't think we ever got to the beach when I was seven because it was so long of a trip. Scott, you may have had the same thing. Is I, Am I ever going to get to Winston-Salem when you were driving that truck this past week? But all those things so pale in comparison. Because as we were talking about in this summary of the dwelling place of God, because we as believers, as Paul talks about, we are the building of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And he is building on that as Christ is the chief cornerstone, the apostles being the foundation. And he is laying a building together. So, so we, we are where God dwells when it comes to worship. Now, again, God is not limited to that. But we can rest assured that when we as his church gather, whether it be at this place or whether it be at any other place of location that's designated for worship, that when Christians come together, we can expect the presence of God. And we can be like the psalmist here as he was anticipating going to the temple in his day. And just yearning to finally get to the place of worship. Now, if we were to be honest, there may be, may, may, may be a few times on the, place, on, on the way to church that there was not necessarily a yearning. Maybe there was a distraction. Maybe the yearning was, I can't wait until I finally get back home. Uh, maybe there was a yearning and you just wait until we get to church sort of conversation. But when we come to church on Sunday morning, when we come to, as we think about it, not so much in the terms of God's house being this structure, but when we think about the different building blocks that is located here at Cornerstone, and that gathered church, is there a yearning? Do you anticipate being with God's people? As soon as the service is over today, at what point during the week do you anticipate the yearning to come back? It's hard. We've got life going on, right? It gets tough. We've got things that distract us from wanting to be with God's people. And I realize that this may be preaching to the choir because I'm preaching to people who have made an effort to be here this morning. But is that what we long for? Or do we get distracted? Do we think about what we're going to do after we meet with God's people? Are we going to be thinking about all the many things we've got to do before we meet with God's people? And let me make it really clear. I think I can speak well for the elders here. That we're subject to the same thing because we can be distracted. You know what? I got to make sure I've got the songs ready. Or I got to make sure I've got my sermon notes all prepared. Or I got to make sure the handouts ready. I got to make. I got to make sure that we're in class on time. We got to make sure that we're out of class on time. Of course, we never worry about that one. But but we're worried about a lot of different things. We can be distracted. 
And as I think back on my days as being a pastor, there would be, I would, we were, you know, there were things obviously that I needed to do just like Pastor Charlie comes and he turns the lights on, gets all the thermostats set and everything. But as a pastor, I remember I would go there early. I would get everything sort of set up. And then I'd go to my study and I would just, I couldn't wait until I heard the first car door shut. So I go talk. And then the next one, the next car comes in. And even though it was expected of me because I guess I had a key to lock it up when everybody left, I would have been the last one there anyway. Because I wanted to spend time with God's people. For a believer, there's an understanding that coming to church isn't just about checking a box. It isn't just about doing the duty. But it's understanding that there's actually a benefit that comes from being with God's people because in that meeting of God's people, these individual dwelling places of God, these individual temples, if you will, when they come together, there's a sense of the presence of God. Now, trust me, I understand that there's a lot of places that are meeting together today that there is nothing like that going on. There may be some peering across the aisles. There may be looking at the back of somebody's head thinking, oh, I can't believe they wore that today. Or how dare they get up and make a testimony about something. I know what they did last week. I know there's places going on, but that's not the way. The psalmist says, lovely is your dwelling place. So he's not talking about necessarily just a meeting of people. He's talking about a meeting of people where God's presence will be. There's a difference, right? So blessed are those who dwell in the Lord's house, even to the point where he notices something very simple. You have to understand that when the temple was built, it was done in such a way where it was exposed to, I mean, we, we've got things so insulated in this place that this would not at all be considered an outdoor facility. You have to remember the temple was a little bit different than that. And there would be places where even the birds, because of the structure, would have porticos and different places where within that structure, places where they could build a nest, which would be convenient for it, would be just like a tree but without, you know, the... The, the lack of security that we have living in a tree. And the psalmist even notices that. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest. Now he's not trying to make it out as if these animals have some sort of relationship with God where they're worshiping him in the temple. But he loves the temple so much. He loves the place where God dwells so much. He says, wouldn't it be neat if, if, if I as a human being could find a way where I could live here? Wouldn't it be neat if I could just find a place where I could dwell securely without having to leave? Maybe we can't relate so much to that. But there should be a longing because, as the psalmist puts it here, I believe it's, it's, it's a blessing to dwell in the house of the Lord, to dwell where his presence is at, to dwell with his people. 
But this is not all. This is just one aspect. Blessed are those who dwell in the Lord's house. But blessed are those who are strengthened in the Lord. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. So not only are blessed are those who dwell in your house, but blessed are those whose strength is in you. In whose heart are the highways to Zion? This phrase indicates that what the psalmist is talking about is not just a statement of being those who were strengthened in the Lord, but he's speaking to those who are being strengthened in the Lord as those who are on a highway. A highway to where? To Zion, the city of God, Jerusalem. We think about the new Jerusalem, Zion. We think about the inhabitants being called Zion. So as the psalmist is thinking about this journey on the highway to Zion, he's thinking about, blessed are those whose strength comes from the Lord. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So he's talking about this place where we think about the term Baca, which literally means a balsam tree or weeping. Think about your week as it draws you closer to the day of worship. Have you gone through any Hardships this week? Have you gone through any dry spells? Have you gone through anything that caused you to weep? Think of the sadness that you've heard about in our world this past week. Tim was referring to those who died horribly in the back of a trailer. You think about those who just a few weeks ago in Texas lost their children to a senseless act of violence. Think about Pastor Charlie's sister who for the times knew death was imminent and a family that weeps and grieves in some regard. You think about all the turmoil that you went through even just at work that no one else would understand. Maybe the things that were going on in your own personal life that you were struggling with. Think about your Baca, your dry place, on your way to a day of worship. Or do we think that way? I think it would be helpful if we understood that through all of that, Blessed are those who find their strength in the Lord because they make it a place or a, a place of springs. They make this journey, this highway to Zion, they make it where it's like the early rain that, that covers the road with pools. Last night on our way back from the mountains, from the wedding, there was some torrential rain. There were some pools in the road. That was not refreshing. 
That was violent. That was dangerous. I didn't like driving home. But as I got home and I pulled into our driveway and noticed that we had received quite a bit of rain ourselves, I was like, finally. I couldn't see it all, but I knew the ground was refreshed. I knew that there was going to be high grass for me to mow this week. I knew that the weeds were going to be higher than my knees. But there was refreshment. On our way, not necessarily on your drive, or as you're getting yourself dressed this morning, but on your way since last Sunday, on your way back to worship, did you allow that journey to provide you strength? It was there. It was at your disposal. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They make it. In spite of all the journey, in spite of all the hardship that they had that led up to that day of worship, they made it. When I looked through and studying for this, it's a different context because we're left, let's face it, we're left with a lot of, a lack of information about the setting of some of these psalms. Now, some of them are very clear. But some of these psalms are like, I wonder who wrote that, and I wonder exactly what moved them to write it apart from the Holy Spirit. And there were some interesting perspectives. Some believe that this perhaps was a psalm that David used, even though he didn't write it, that he, he may have used while he was running from his son Absalom. And he ran away from Jerusalem. Can you imagine the yearning that David had to want to get back home in worship? At this psalm, talking about how blessed is the one who finds the strength of the Lord, even on his journey on this highway to Zion. Or perhaps even the Jews used it as they were making their way back from the Babylonian captivity. As they were returning to go back with Ezra, and they came back with Nehemiah, and they were going to rebuild the temple, and they were singing this song thinking about on this journey to Zion, blessed is the one who gets his strength from the Lord. I thought probably the most interesting to me was the one who was speculating the fact that there, it could have been used and probably was. But those Jews, when the first Assyrians came in, you may recall before the Babylonian captivity, that the Assyrians came in and they took some of the Israelites away and left some others. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the ones who were left? Wondering that if you ventured out of your house to go to that place of worship, if there weren't going to be some more Assyrian guards waiting to take you off. Of wondering, will I make it? Wondering if I'll be the one next taken captive if I was to venture out to worship. Now, again, I know this is all speculation. But any way you want to look at it, there's a sense in which when we go towards the day of worship, when we're on this journey, there should be an understanding that I'm gaining strength along. I'm not waiting to get to church where I'm going to get my strength. I'm getting my strength remembering that God is faithful. And that when I get there, when I get with God's people, there will be an experience that I will share with God's presence, with his people. 
as I sing together, as I give together, as I study the word of God together, as I fellowship together, and as I pray together. Notice that what the psalm says in verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Now this is not just flinging some words up, hoping that God will hear. But this is a prayer of knowing, hear my prayer. I'm journeying on to the place of worship. Create pools of refreshment with the early rain. Make it a place of springs of refreshment as I'm even thinking about it. Strengthen my soul. He's the one, if you will, that refreshes us. And if you will, just take a moment to consider some of the ways that God does that throughout the scriptures. Perhaps you remember Elihu. He was one of Job's friends. Job didn't seem to have many friends, but he had some people who really wanted to give him some advice. And it wasn't that what they said was wrong. There are so many different points of truth that they made that we should hold to. And one of the things Elihu said that it's God who gives songs in the night. When we think about Paul and Silas in a prison at midnight, what were they doing? They were singing. God had given them a song to sing, even in prison. Isaiah 35, salvation is described as a burning sand becoming like a pool and thirsty grounds, springs of water. You see, God gives refreshment. Going back to what Elijah said about God giving a song, it's in those times of sadness. It's in those times of baka. In those times of weeping, that God gives us a song. And even just human nature, we can relate to that. I mean, most music that anybody says that they really enjoy, oftentimes you can trace it back to something like rhythm and blues that talk about the emotional experience of a person. And many of those songs and many of that the context of that musical style or that genre goes even back to the slaves that when they were, when you have a Christian slave and they understood more than anybody else in this world what it meant to be a slave and what it meant to be freed in Christ and the songs that they would sing, even in the midst of their slavery, that brought joy because there was a song given to them that they didn't have before. Now, we sing all kinds of songs of misery. I mean, man, we've got all kinds of radio stations you can flip, and it's not just the country and western stuff. Now, I think when I say country and western, I think I just dated myself because I don't think we use that term anymore. I'm sure they call it something else. But there's all different types of music. There's also how pitiful our lives are and how much we struggle in this life. And for some reason, we may have a tendency to go, and when we're feeling blue, you know, I don't want to pull out that. Well, I want say I'm dating my we, we don't pull out anything around anymore. We just what we just hit a button. Or we just talk to the button. They play this song. And we get wrapped up in the blues. Because somebody's relating to how I feel. How lonely I am. 
how desperate my situation is. And misery loves company, right? That's not what God does. God gives us a song. There's a, there's a reason why I remember a preacher talking about this before. I remember he was going through the book of James and he was talking, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but we weep with those who weep. We don't give somebody a blue song, but we weep before the Lord, understanding that what? God is our refreshment. That even on our way, on our journey to worship, God is giving a song. He's giving a song that gives us joy, that gives us hope, that gives us, hopefully, hopefully, the songs that we sing during our worship service are songs that you take with you. That you don't just stick them in the back of the pew like a hymnal. But you take your worship guide with you and you say, now, what was that song again and how'd that tune go with you know what? I heard him talk about this song, and, and you find more and more and more where God has given us songs. What a great gift He has provided for us. One songwriter, one of the one of my more favorite contemporary hymn writers today, Craig Courtney, puts it this way: When time sweeps yesterday away, it leaves behind an empty heart, weeping through the night so dark and long. When words are lost among the tears, when sadness steals another day, God hears our cries and turns our sighs into a song. Sing to the one who mends our broken hearts with music. Sing to the one who fills our empty hearts with love. Sing to the one who gives us light to step into the darkest night. Sing to the God who turns our sighs into a song. From heaven falls a mercy sweet. The time for weeping now is gone. God hears our sighs and gives us his eternal song. Is that what we sing to church throughout the week? Is that what we're doing as we're going and looking forward to another day of worship with God's people? Is that the way we look at life? Blessed is the one who finds their strength in the Lord. And finally, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Verse 9, behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The psalmist uses the idea of shield there in verse 9 and anointed one. Both of these terms are often references to kingliness, if I can use that term. Often talking about the king. And so the psalmist, in one context, is speaking a word of blessing on the one who reigns on the throne in Israel. 
He's asking for God to behold our king. Look upon him with favor. Look on the face of the one who you anointed to reign over us. But you can't help as a believer and know anything about the scriptures to understand who is our king. Who is our king? King Jesus. He is the one. Behold our shield. Behold, look on the face of your anointed one. The one who God has given to save us from our sins. He's the one whom we fellowship with when we are together. It is his presence that we come into as we worship him in spirit and in truth. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Is that true? There's a lot of other places I'd like to be. I'd like to be in Hawaii. Actually, I would like to be under an umbrella in Hawaii right now, right there off the beach. I could think of a lot of other places I'd like to be. I'd like, I could think of a lot of different circumstances I'd like to be under. Pastor said we couldn't get political today, so I'll save that. But where else would I rather be than in the presence of God and his people? Now, that's not to say that we all move in and just become one communal group of people. We just walk around everywhere like a bunch of gypsies. It's just it's not what we're saying here. Can I think of a better place? Even if, if I was simply someone greeting at the door. Standing outside the temple, but just I was there outside the door. Can I think of a better place to be? When I think about Revelation 21. And knowing there won't be a temple, but God in the land will be a temple. Can you think of any better place to be for all of eternity? Hmm. Never. But you know what? You can't possess that hope unless he's your king. Unless Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Unless you have said, I'm denying me. I repent of my sin, my sinfulness. And I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. Because he's my king. It's not until you say, the life that I live is no longer mine because I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live with Christ. He's my king. He's my Lord. That is the only way that you can enjoy 
the courts that will be a place where you never want to leave in the presence of God. And I would encourage you today, if you if you aren't there, if, if you're at a point in your life, even if you profess to be a believer and you can somehow think of something that is going to make you happy temporally or permanently that's better than being in the eternal presence of God in the Lamb. I strongly urge you to rethink that. To come to terms with just who this God is and how magnificent he is and how wonderful he is, how holy he is, how righteous he is, how merciful and kind and loving he is. And how he alone can give you eternal life. Because I can assure you, if that is not the case in your life, you are destined for a place that you will never leave and you'll never escape. And it will not be a place that you want to be, apart from God's presence, experiencing God's wrath. For the Son, as the psalmist uses it here, gives light and warmth, gives beauty to the creation. So not only is there a shield, but the Lord God is a son that gives us life. So that nothing that is good is withheld to those who live upright. The matter of trust, acknowledging on a daily basis that this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will be glad and rejoice in. That is a person who can say, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere because this is your will. This is your day. This is what you've destined for purposed for me as your follower. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So let me ask you this morning. Is it a blessing for you to be with God's people today? Do you find the blessing that only comes from being strengthened in the Lord? And do you find it a blessing to place every ounce of trust in him? If you are, then today will be a good day of worship. If you are, then you'll be ready for next Sunday. If you are, you'll be ready for that day in which we will all be with Christ forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy that you've extended to us even during this time to have the mental faculties to read to comprehend what you have so graciously given to us in your word. But Father, I thank you more that through your spirit, you've opened up eyes 
and that you've opened up ears so that we may see, that we may hear, that we may understand the word of the Lord. Father, I pray for each one who is under the sound of my voice as I've, I've spoken, that they have heard clearly about how wonderful you are and about how desperately our lives need you and how graciously you've been to, through Jesus Christ, make that possible. Provide grace that brings about a faith that trusts you. I pray for grace that brings about the, the strength that only you can provide through your word and through your presence. And I pray for grace for the blessing that comes with being with your people. Thank you. I thank you for this time that I've had to be with your people, people that you you bought with the blood of Christ, people that you have chosen, people that you have loved. Thank you for allowing me to just share a moment of fellowship with them today that will, will give me strength, that will help me look forward to next week. Help us, Father, to trust you. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that, that if there's anyone who hears my voice, and has not heard the voice of the shepherd, that you'll save them, that they'll hear your voice to follow you, and that they will find that life that comes only in doing so. Bless the remaining of our service today, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.